Well, hello and welcome. It's Stuart Haynes here. And if you're a frequent listener to the iFormerX podcast, you probably noticed that the introductory music was a bit different than our normal tune. And that's because I'll be hosting a series of podcast episodes in conjunction with the American College of Clinical Pharmacists, Ambulatory Care Practice and Research Network, or PRN, the MCARE PRN. In this episode and others in the series, the topics and the questions were chosen by members of the MCARE PRN, and our panelists are members and leaders in the PRN. Our topic today, we're going to be exploring continuous glucose monitoring and ways to implement services to, that can assist patients and providers with when and how to use CGM devices, as well as some of the billing and insurance aspects. So our experts today for this podcast are Dr. Jennifer Truillo, Dr. Eddie Saito, and Dr. Christina Cheryl. Dr. Truillo is on faculty at the University of Colorado. Dr. Saito is with Pacific University in Hillsboro, Oregon. And Dr. Cheryl is with High Point University in High Point, North Carolina. Jennifer, Eddie, Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Great to be here. Thanks. Yes, thank you for having me. So glad to be with you guys. So before we get started in today's podcast and talking about CGMs, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your practice the, you know, kind of who you practice with and how you encounter patients with CGMs as part of your practice. Yeah, so I work at a large university health system. I work in a endocrinology specialty clinic. So we have a lot of patients on CGM, either with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. I practice at an FQHC outside of Portland, and we are the primary safety net clinic network for the counties that we serve. So we actually have a lot of patients that don't speak English as a primary language, and most of our patients are uh, Medicaid or uninsured. And so that presents a lot of unique challenges for us. But we've started both um, using individual CGM as well as a, a a professional CGM service. Yes, so I um, practice at a small physician-owned medical practice in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we have internal medicine, endocrinology, and rheumatology, and I work mostly with the internal medicine doctors and then second most with endocrinology, and so our um, CGM and diabetes patients in general come as referrals from internal medicine or endocrinology, and so we you know, we identify patients who would be eligible for CGM or they may already be on CGMs when they come to us. So I, I want to start out by talking about your kind of your approach to care and how you manage your visits with patients with CGM and how you conduct those visits and how they might be a bit different when a patient's brand new to CGM, that initial visit with a patient versus some of your follow-up visits with patients who've been using CGM devices. So I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Trujillo. Jen, what do you do? Well, I think it depends on what the patient needs are. Um, But I think early on, when it may be a management visit, we're oftentimes just introducing the idea to see if the patient is interested. So we're talking about the pros and cons of CGM in general, and then perhaps the differences between the products so that they can decide which product might be most appropriate for them. And then I think the next visit is actually to get them started. So learning how to apply the sensor, how to get their app up and running, teaching them about things like the trend arrows that you see. And then from there, with the follow-up visits, I think it's an inner 
it's an opportunity really to introduce the AGP, the time and range, and really start honing in on the cause and effects. So pattern management, I think every visit, no matter how long a person's been wearing a CGM, is an opportunity to really increase that understanding about the relationship between food and behaviors and medications and glucose. And I'll just add that for that initial visit for a patient with a CGM versus follow-up visits, that initial visit is much more provider-focused, so I would do a lot more talking versus the follow-up visits where I'd want the patient to do more talking. So there's a lot more teaching for that initial visit. Um, so assuming that the device is covered and the patient has the device in their position and, and is ready to get started, we do a lot of teaching about how to apply the device at home, how to set those targets and alarms, and what to do when those alarms go off, when to conduct. Um, the blood glucose monitoring as needed, and if it is an intermittently scan, how often to scan, and um, just going into more detail about what that means for the patient. But then when they come in for their follow-up visits, we really want the patient to reflect back on those results. And I would add that in the follow-up visit, we are also often troubleshooting any technical issues that patients may uh, have faced you know, in the few, first few days or, or a few weeks of wearing their device. In addition to reviewing their data, we're also reiterating how to interpret that data. And this is typically the point where I will give patients a handout, a log sheet, so that they can start to record some information about, you know, medications, doses of insulin that they've given, perhaps various types of foods that they've eaten. And so when we look at the second follow-up visit, for us, that's the point where we can start to help patients make associations between the readings and the data that they're seeing and activities in their life and foods that they're eating. And I'm also wondering a little bit about some of the logistical issues, like um, do you download the reports that you're getting from an online portal? Do you conduct uh, televisits for these follow-up visits? I can imagine that the initial visit really does need to be face-to-face, but uh, how about follow-up visits? Do you go just on the telephone or some video teleconferencing, or do you have them always come back to the office to download the report and to review the data? So like you said, the initial visit is going to be in person for us, and and that's obviously to place the sensor and to do that initial education. And then for the second uh, follow-up visit, we we like to do that in person as well. Um, It's a good opportunity to download the AGP report as well as, you know, the daily uh, glucose profile and be able to walk that through, walk patients through um, understanding those results. But there are some times where due to scheduling reasons or or patient limitations, they're not able to come in person. And so in those cases, we can do a telemed follow-up and review the results that way. Though I would say I would prefer to do telemed further down the line once we've had at least an initial um, in-person follow-up. And I practice at a small physician-owned medical practice And I would say the vast majority of our patients who use CGM do come in for in-person visits for their follow-up, and that is so that we can sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with them. And also for billing purposes, if we're doing other things besides CGM, especially blood pressure seems to be something that we do um, a a lot of in our patients who are on CGM, so we are able to bill for that separately when when it's done in a face-to-face manner. We do have some patients who use telehealth for CGM services, and we probably will expand into that more over the next few months or year, but at this time, most of our patients are um, seen in person for CGM follow-up visits. And, you know, I'm at a large university hospital, 
in Colorado, so there's a lot of rural areas in Colorado that don't have a lot of access to, to medical care. So we do a combination of live visits, but we also do a fair amount of virtual visits. And I think for CGM, that's one of the nice things about folks using an app as their receiver instead of a receiver device itself is that it automatically gets uploaded to the cloud. So we use the portals very frequently and the data is current and it's easy to get to. And so those virtual visits can be very effective. I don't do telehealth. I like the virtual so we can look at the AGP together on on the screen. I can share my screen and we can look at that data together, which is really helpful. So getting people started on CGMs, I think, can be kind of tedious, especially if it's going to be billed um, to insurance and there's a lot of things they have to do. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the workflow from the time a patient is prescribed the CGM to the time when you're having that initial visit and placing the sensor, so to speak. And what are the key differences in your in that workflow, depending on whether the person is on a commercial insurance versus a, a government insurance like Medicare? That is a great question. Um, so first of all, of course, you'd identify a patient who could benefit from a CGM. So that's kind of the first step. And then hope that they could be eligible for it. Um, so for Medicare, the biggest thing is to make sure that they are using injections of insulin at least three times per day. Um, and then for commercial it really just kind of varies on, on who they will cover. So identify the patient who could be eligible for CGM and benefit from that and eligible for coverage, and then discuss with the patient what their interest would be, make sure they're interested. Um, and then for personal CGM, we send the prescription and kind of hope for the best. We do have some samples of products, but we, we try not to use that if we don't think the patient's going to be eligible because we don't want them to get started on this great technology and really love it and then say, oh, sorry, we can't actually do this long term. So we, we try to have the patient get the prescription from their pharmacy first, and then they come in for that initial visit for teaching on how to use that device and then the follow-up visits that come after that. Um, if, however, we know the patient will not have insurance coverage, we do still use professional CGMs, and that's actually how my clinic first started using CGM was through professional CGM. We have a lot of the same things in place that Christy described. I think we're a, a pretty large practice, a lot of providers, quite a large diabetes education staff as well. So I think a lot of the things we have in place is just making sure we're all on the same page about what the expectations are. So we use you know, dot phrases in Epic to make sure that we're documenting the criteria like being on three injections per day. We use Teams a lot, Microsoft Teams, where we have notes, uh, reminders of what the steps are when we, you know, a lot of times we are triaging new patients to the diabetes educators to make sure that they are sending those prescriptions to the right places to get them covered. Um, with Medicare, whether it's going to go through the prescription coverage or a different benefit um, is always a fuzzy area. And so a lot of times we just send those patients, uh, we triage them to the education staff as the first step to get initial coverage. And we have a similar process to what's been described already. Um, a few things that I would add, it is just a very complex process. And especially when you're working with patients that have a lot of different insurers the coverage options can vary pretty widely. So 
we've tried to do some of the legwork and, and reach out to those various payers that we know most of our patients are members of. But, uh, but for the most part, especially with commercial insurers or with Advantage plans for Medicare, we just uh, have to submit the, the orders and the, and the prior authorization and see if it is approved. I will say that for our uh, commercial payers, we use a specific pharmacy that helps to process all of the qualifications and, and pre-authorizations. So that's been a, a huge help for us. And, uh, and for our Medicare patients, we actually have a clinical pharmacy technician um, that we've hired recently. And this has been a great opportunity for us to use the technician support to handle a lot of the processing and the paperwork. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about professional CGM services. I know that several of you have mentioned that you offer professional CGM to your patients. And what's the you know, pros and cons or, or the pros? Why do you offer that? And you know, how does it kind of fit into your overall patient management? And then let's talk a little bit about the professional CGM systems, like which ones do you use and what are the pros and cons of those? It's a great question, Stuart. I think, um, you know, professional CGM is where we own the device. The patient can um, wear the device for, you know, 10 to 14 days and then come back and have a discussion with us to review patterns and try to optimize therapy. I think it's a really nice option for folks that don't meet criteria for personal CGM. Um, We have a lot of patients who we would love for them to test more frequently, but they don't and they don't have target, they're not meeting their target A1Cs, but we don't have a lot of glucose data to work off of. Um, So I think those are patients that can definitely benefit from professional CGM and it's covered very well. Uh, Most people can get that covered a few times a year. I think in terms of the options, we use in our clinic, both the Libre and the Dexcom Pro and they are, are they vary in, in a few ways, but from the professional CGM perspective, I think one of the biggest differences is the Dexcom Pro can be blinded or unblinded. So blinded meaning the patient wears it for the, for the um, 10 to 14 days, but they don't see the data while they're wearing it. They don't see the data till they come back and um, review that with us. It can be unblinded, though, so that they do see the glucose data in real time. And I think that can be particularly beneficial for someone who's considering a personal CGM device, but they've got some concerns or they're not sure if they're going to like it. And in our clinics, we also use both the Dexcom and the Libre, although I would say we use more Dexcom um, for our insured patients. And Libre tends to be more affordable for our uninsured patients, especially because we have 340B pharmacies. Um, When we look at professional versus personal CGM, I find that we are actually doing more professional CGM at this point, mostly because uh, a lot of our patients, unfortunately, are not able to get the personal CGMs covered due to insurance reasons. I also agree that one of the key benefits of the Dexcom system from a professional CGM standpoint is the ability to have the blinded versus the unblinded uh, modes. I think that gives us a lot of flexibility in, in how we use the devices. And, uh, and similar to what Jen was saying, I find that it's really helpful for, for my patients that have a lot of barriers to accessing care, to being able to come in for their appointments and you know, check their blood sugars on a regular basis. We have a lot of seasonal farm workers that we serve and and, and, and so for those reasons, um, it can just be a challenge to engage in that level of care. And so what I found 
particularly helpful is to use the unblinded mode to present you know, 10 days worth of CGM data to a patient and then be able to walk them through their patterns from day to day. And, and it really serves as a good basis for that conversation. And I would add um, just a couple more differences between the Freestyle Libre Pro and the Dexcom G6 Pro. Um, so the, the Libre is a 14-day duration, whereas the Dexcom G6 Pro is 10 days, um, so a little bit longer. And at my clinic, we tend to use the, the Libre more frequently. Um, and by having the 14-day duration, we oftentimes have a patient come in to have the device placed, and then they have them come in at seven days so we can look at the results. And then again, at 14 days, so we can kind of squeeze out more interventions with just one device that's used in this short-term setting as a professional CGM. But a pro to the Dexcom G6 Pro is that it does have a lower MARD, so the mean absolute relative um, difference. So it is more accurate in that way. It can also be used for patients down to two years of age, um, which I don't I don't have pediatric patients in my practice, but that may be beneficial for some other folks. And I don't think it was mentioned yet, but the um, Dexcom Personal is, is more compatible with insulin pumps. And so if you're in a practice with which is more endocrinology-focused, more type 1 diabetes patients, more pump patients, you may lean more towards the Dexcom product um, if the long-term goal is to get them to use a personal device because they'd already be familiar with that technology, and that would be an easy transition from the professional device to a personal device. Okay, well, let's talk about billing. Um, I know that insurance coverage for the devices and all the accoutrement that goes with it, it can be problematic, and, and that's part of what you spend your time trying to uh, do. But how do you get paid for the services that you provide related to CGM? I don't know if you have a, a mechanism to getting paid for your services or not. Sure, this is a, a really important question and often one that can be difficult to figure out. But I, I think it really boils down for us uh, to, to three main billing codes for, for CGM. And those are 95249, 95250, and 95251. And we use those codes for both our patients that we're getting set up for personal CGM devices, as well as for our professional CGM service. The 95249 code is for initial placement of a personal CGM device. The 95250 code is for placement of a professional professional CGM device. And then the 95251 code is for interpretation of the results, whether it's interpretation of the personal CGM results or the professional results. And the ability to use those codes uh, depends on your scope of practice. For us here in Oregon, we're able to use all of those codes, and we do so in a collaborative fashion with our supervising providers. Yes, and here in North Carolina, we also are able to bill for these three different codes. Another thing that you can do is that with these CPT codes, you're also able to bill for your ENM codes if you do something besides CGM, so something that is, quote, significant and separately identifiable. Um, and so as I mentioned previously about in-person versus telehealth visits, oftentimes we have a patient come in in person and we also manage their blood pressure or maybe look at their labs for cholesterol or whatever the case is. And so we are able to bill these CPT codes that are specific to CGM, as well as our ENM codes for our general uh, management visits. And it's important to note, too, that that 95251 can be billed for a non-face-to-face encounter, so it is possible to do these visits via telehealth and get paid for them through these CPT codes. 
And we have a similar process here in Colorado, although pharmacists are not able to directly bill for the CGM interpretation, but we send our notes to the provider and the provider then does the billing for that CGM interpretation based off of the visit that they had with us. So again, it doesn't have to be in person. So the provider is still able to review that information and bill uh, after the visit is completed. Well, thank you. I really want to thank you for joining us today, our audience, as well as our three guests, Dr. Trujillo, Dr. Saito, and Dr. Cheryl, for their participation today and really informing us about how CAGMs might fit into your practice, personal versus professional, and some of the billing issues with that, and some of the practical issues about patient management and follow-up. So if you're not already a member of the American College of Clinical Pharmacies Ambulatory Care PRN, I really encourage you to join. They have a very active listserv. They offer frequency programs. Uh, they offer roundtable events, plus tons of resources on their website. So I'm sure you'll benefit from your membership in AACP if you're an ambulatory care practitioner. There is also several opportunities for grants and sponsorships to attend meetings. And we really encourage, obviously, students and residents to become members of the PRM as well. So lots of great opportunities to interact with like-minded people through the ACCP Ambulatory Care PRN. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iForumRx, signing off.